Hi, this is David Yaz of the Boston Podcast Network. We hope you are staying safe, sound, and sane as this year continues to drag on, and we do all that we have to do to get through this pandemic. Well, how about this? If you want to be on a Zoom call that isn't dreadfully boring, please join us for Zoomapalooza, an interactive adventure of fun, games, comedy, and who knows what else. Tickets are absolutely free, or hire us for your next office or corporate event. Just visit pod617.com slash Zoom. That's pod617.com slash Zoom. Now enjoy the following production of pod617.com, the Boston Podcast Network. Are you ready? From the Pod 617 Studios in Westwood, Massachusetts, it's the Boston Podcast with David Yaz and a rotating cast of characters from Pod 617, the Boston Podcast Network. This is our Yes, sir. Ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, all the ships at sea, lovers, muggers, and thieves, welcome to the Boston Podcast. My name is Dave, as John Meter Perel, my voiceover guy, just told you. If you like this podcast, please subscribe to us on Apple Podcasts, share it with a friend. It is the show where we tell the stories of our city through the voices of our city. And I have one of my favorite voices here with me, actually in studio. We are separated. Mom, Dad, we're socially distanced. We swear everything is clean, <laughs> sanitary. He's actually a repeat guest. You were on the show once before, months ago, right, Mike? I was indeed. Yes, it's Mike Nathanson. He is the CEO of the Colony Group and Renaissance Man and all-around awesome guy. And he's got a podcast he's going to tell us about, and he deserves a little applause. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you very much. <laughs> <laughs> so since we last spoke... The, the big news, as far as I'm concerned, is the podcast that you're launching. But let me ask you, and it's called Seeking the Extraordinary, by the way. I'm very proud to be working on it with you. It's been a long time coming. You've been sort of scheming this for a long time. Correct. And it is not. Now, your company, of course, is one of the finest financial institutions. Do you call yourself, a, are you an RIA technically, or what are you? We are an RIA, which for those of you who don't know, and yeah. most of you probably don't know, that stands for Registered Investment Advisor. Mm -hmm. And we are a registered investment advisor, but we do quite a bit more than your typical registered investment advisor because we do far more than just investing. And the thing that I think sets you apart is it's it, your firm dances to a little bit of a different beat, I think, in a good way, because most financial advisors really just want to talk about finance. And you certainly do. And you've been at this a while. As far as I'm concerned, the you know, cream of the crop as far as these outfits go. But you all, you talk a lot about company culture. You talk a lot about teamwork. You like that chalk talk stuff, that halftime speech stuff, right? I do. Yeah. I do. Yes. And so, which I suppose led you to the idea of this podcast called Seeking the Extraordinary. What does that mean, Seeking the Extraordinary? Well, as you point out, there are many financial advisors around the country, and that is certainly the core of what we do. We provide financial advice, and yet, when we talk about ourselves internally, and when we talk about ourselves in the community and in the industry, what we're looking to do as an organization is to do something more. I go to these conferences and I look around at an industry conference and candidly, I hear a lot of people saying the same thing. Mm. And I see a lot of people who look the same, talking to people back home saying the same thing. And that's kind of typical of the industry. We're out there doing good work 
for the for the communities that we serve, and it is good and important work helping people provide peace of mind. And yet at the same time, we think that there's something more and we can be even better. And and we are seeking to be extraordinary. And and we often say at the Colony Group that we see ourselves as a ship sailing in a sea of the ordinary, seeking the extraordinary. And much of what we are trying to do is to break the mold, is to offer change, is to offer opportunity beyond what the typical firm is doing. And that led us to this concept of going out there with seeking the extraordinary. And much as we do our best to make sure that every one of our team members is doing everything they can to be their best person and achieve their fullest potential, we certainly are looking to do that for our clients as well. So it goes with the Colony Group. And that led us to this idea of going on a quest for the extraordinary, speaking to people who have truly achieved the extraordinary, and learning from them. And by the way, I should say that our top value at the Colony Group, above all other values, is that we are lifelong learners. And so we certainly have the values that everyone has on their list. And again, this is this concept of extraordinary. Everyone's values list includes excellence mm-hmm. and, and things like integrity and respect. And certainly ours does as well. But what's extraordinary about our company and what we're trying to do is that we are willing to be lifelong learners and willing to seek this level of extraordinary. Yeah, I think it's the mark of a great professional and just really a great person when they're always willing to learn, always willing to admit that they still make mistakes, no matter how much they've learned and learn from those mistakes, etc. I heard an interview with Norman Lear, of course, the, the TV great, the creative great that created shows like All in the Family and the Jeffersons and the list goes on and on. He's still kicking. He's still alive. He's in his 90s. And I remember hearing him say, I just turned 90 and I've learned so much since I was 80. And you would think, you would think that once you hit 80, you've pretty much learned all there is to learn. But no, and, and that's maybe why he's one of the great creative minds of our time. So the podcast will explore... Not, not, we're not talking finances here. We're talking more concepts, I think, than anybody can grab onto, seeking the extraordinary learning. So I take it you're going to call upon as guests people who have achieved interesting things, have interesting stories, or tell me about, tell me about that. That's right, Dave. I, I have great respect for all others, and that is, again, consistent with our value system. But in my opinion, the world is less in need of another podcast about the markets or about the latest and greatest financial planning techniques, because there are just so many of those out there Mm. and more in need of, again, this search for the extraordinary. So that's right. So we've been lining up guests and we've already recorded a number of shows and we're lining up people that have much to teach and that I believe our listeners will be very interested in hearing from. By the way, the name of the podcast, once again, Seeking the Extraordinary, you can find it on Mike's website. His outfit's website is thecolonygroup.com. You can also find it at pod617.com, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, wherever you find your podcasts. So you expressed some hesitation before we started recording about revealing the identity of your guests, kind of like the mask singer kind of thing. We just <laughs> want to talk about them in the abstract. But uh, myself and one of your colleagues persuaded you to spill the beans. And I think it's good because th- these are, when you told me who the first two guests were, and by the way, we've already recorded those as we speak right now, so we can reflect a little bit. No spoilers, don't worry. But nevertheless, when I saw where the first two guests were, 
I was pretty blown away. You got me all excited about it. So tell the people at least a couple names as to who they can look forward to and what st stories we're going to hear. Well, since we're out there, I'll give you I'll give you all, all five that we've already done. Okay. I'm not going to tell you the ones we haven't done. Okay. But the five that we have recorded, we spent some time with Boomer Esiason. He was our first guest. And, and again, Boomer's a great example of what we're trying to accomplish with this podcast in that Boomer certainly has a, an extraordinary story to tell from an athletic perspective. But when you get to know Boomer, you'll realize that his life goes far beyond football, whether that's as a player or as a broadcaster. And this is a man who has done extraordinary things and, in my opinion, has changed the world and you'll hear Boomer tell that story. It truly is an, an extraordinary story. And I want to let him tell it. I don't want to give it away. And I won't either, but it was tremendous. He's a pro now, and I think he's a broadcaster now, the star of both TV and radio. Correct. I think it's the mark of a really interesting person that you want to be around when they're actually known for more than one thing. He was a, uh, a good quarterback, perhaps not a great quarterback, but a good quarterback. I think he was a great quarterback. Okay, he was a great quarterback. Sorry, Boomer. But then known for his, and I don't want to spoil it, but known also for his charity work and now known as a great broadcaster. I mean, he's, But it's more than charity work. And this The, the Boomer Esiason Foundation is one of the key players in advancing to a cure for cystic fibrosis, saving lives, and thereby making a, an enormous difference difference in people's lives. Give us one then, more. Yeah. All right. So, or so, two or whatever. All right. Yeah. So, yeah. So the other guests that we've recorded so far are Ty Law. Mm -hmm. Ty Law, the, the Hall of Fame cornerback for the New England Patriots and for a few other teams as well. Again, great story that he tells about his upbringing, tells about, gives us the secrets to how he's been so successful. We recorded, we recorded a, a great conversation with Jim McCann. And Jim McCann is a name that may be less familiar to, to, to people, but I assure you his company is certainly not less familiar because Jim McCann tells the story. And again, I'm going to let him tell the story, but he tells the story of how he came to be the founder of what is now known as 1-800-Flowers and how he changed the world of e-commerce and the way that we all do business he also talks about, and you talked about this earlier, Dave, he talks about this concept of the art of making mistakes mm. as part of the learning process. Other guests that we spent time with, with was the great Nikki McCray. Mm -hmm. And uh, Nikki is currently the head coach of the Mississippi State uh, Bulldogs. But she's also a two-time Olympic gold medalist, a World Cup gold medalist. She's a three-time WNBA uh, MVP and won a national championship coaching at South Carolina. She has an extraordinary story to tell as well. well you caught her coming off the court. Just <laughs> That's right. Taking, taking off her mask as she was coming off the court from a practice. Yeah. That's right. We had to wait for her right. because she was still finishing with her practice. Mm -hmm. And, and then we uh, most recently recorded a great conversation with the, the great Jim Langevin. And again, Jim Langevin is a name that may or may not be familiar to people, but Jim is a sitting U.S. congressman. And he's extraordinary for that. And he's got some committee leadership. He's been in Congress for 20 years. But what makes Jim even more extraordinary is his story. And Jim, and again, I'll let him tell the story. But he has an incredible story to tell and a frankly tragic story to tell as well in that at the age of 16, he was paralyzed for life. And he now serves as the, he was the first quadriplegic 
ever in our history to serve in the U.S. House of Representatives. Yeah, and such a kind man and soft-spoken and thoughtful, as really all of your guests have been. So again, I'm looking forward to it. I think I've got a star on my hands here. I will hitch my wagon and my friends who are talented, I just tend to show up and exploit their greatness. That's my (laughs) MO. And so Mike Nathanson, the host of Seeking the Extraordinary, look for it anywhere you get your podcast. But we're not done with Mike yet because since he's a Renaissance man and we're talking about inspiration and such, and I know he's a fan of TV, film, and popular culture stuff, we are going to do a sampling of some of the most inspirational speeches ever recorded on film. And after that, by the way, we're going to play a round of burning questions, all that coming up. First off, let's let's listen to a couple of these clips. So yes, here's, what, here's, what, here's what we're going to do. I've got maybe, I don't know, seven of them. Now, granted, this is Hollywood, so most of them come from sports movies. You'll recognize just about all of them, I think. And since you are the seeker of the extraordinary, you can give them a grade or give us a little critique or tell us any tell us how you might react. Some of these, I tried to get it down to a minute each, but it's hard. Some of these people go on. So you'll recognize this one right off the bat. Let's take a listen. On this team, we fight for that itch. On this team, we tear ourselves and everyone else around us to pieces for that itch. We claw with our fingernails for that itch. Because we know when we add up all those inches, that's going to make the fucking difference between winning and losing. Language, Pacino. Between living and dying. I'll tell you this, in any fight, it's the guy who's willing to die who's going to win that itch. And I know if I'm going to have any life anymore, it's because I'm still willing to fight and die for that itch. Because that's what living is. The six inches in front of your face. Now, I can't make you do it. You got to look at the guy next to you. Look into his eyes. Now, I think you're going to see a guy who will go that inch with you. You're going to see a guy. I'll take it down there. It's when Jamie Foxx starts to walk with eyes trained directly on his coach. You know that one, right? I do. Go ahead. Well, spectacular um, movie and spectacular speech. I got to tell you, though, Mm -hmm. it's probably not in my, that is not, that is not in my top uh, 10 inspirational really? sports speeches. I don't know yeah. if it would be in mine either, but it, it's a lot of people cite it. it. It is, of course, Al Pacino playing coach, whatever his name is, in the Oliver Stone film, Any Given Sunday. Did you like that movie? Great movie. It, uh, great movie, but not one that I watch over and over. Yeah, so I'm going to tell you my number one most inspirational sports movie. And um, right. I've listened to some of your podcasts. I mm-hmm. don't think it's on any of your lists. Really? Okay. So I'm a big Hoosiers guy mm-hmm. and love Hoosiers. Love Gene Hackman. Mm-hmm. And I love The Natural. But I got to tell you, my best sports movie, mm-hmm. it's not even close. It's Rudy. Oh, really? <laughs> I love Rudy. And maybe because I just identify with that particular character. <laughs> but I just, I love Rudy. I love it too. But... It wouldn't make my top 10. I don't know. But different strokes for different folks. You're not a Notre Dame guy, are you? I'm not at all no, a Notre okay. Dame. No, not at all. I, I grew up in Boston. So when we had football, I was a BC fan. Right, yeah. And so I'm all Doug Flutie. And, uh, what was the, the, what, the, moment, the moment in that film is the end is the best when he actually gets into a game. And it's a good lesson for people writing sports movies is 
it doesn't have to be the protagonist doesn't have to win anything of significance in the end, right? It's a great point. In, in, in Rudy, he gets a sack that really meant nothing in the course of the season, but it was <laughs> no. just, right. It was just a fact it was that, a statistic. that he made it on the field. The one, there's an underrated sports movie, the rookie with Dennis Quaid. I've the, seen the, that. It's a great, that's yeah. a great movie. The, just guy throws a 97 mile an hour fastball gets discovered when he's like 40 years old. Yeah. 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 Dennis Quaid plays the real life pitcher, Jimmy Morris. And, his greatest achievement is he strikes out light-hitting Royce Clayton at the end of a game, yeah. <laughs> but he got yeah. into the game. He made it. And then you, Rocky, the original Rocky, was. we're not going to get into a whole uh, Rocky rabbit hole here because I know you and I could. But to me, the first one is the most poignant. And what happens at the end? He loses. Yeah. He lost the fight. Yeah. That wasn't the point. It was the struggle. So yeah. anyway, good on you there. I didn't have Rudy. I don't know what speech you would have chosen. If it, it Maybe the when his buddy who works at the stadium, the aging wise black dude who yep. says you're five foot nothing yeah you, you know? right. five foot nothing a hundred and nothing right yeah yeah that's a great speech let's take a listen to a couple more tonight we are the greatest hockey team yeah in the world. <laughs> yeah this is definitely top three for me okay you were born to be hockey players and you were meant to be here tonight this is your time their time is done it's over. I'm sick and tired of hearing about what a great hockey team the Soviets have. <laughs> Screw them. <laughs> this is your time. Now go out there and take it. I still get the chills yeah. a little bit. Oh, me too. I, I have to either proudly or shamefully admit that I've probably dedicated four or five days of my life to watching Miracle over and over again. And uh, came to is, the right place. I'm not going to make fun of you. For oh, that. it's a spectacular <laughs> yeah. movie. And it's the ultimate David and Goliath story. And for those of us that are old enough, we lived through it. Yeah. And, and yeah. I remember what that was like. And I remember the just how powerful the Soviets were. And it was impossible. And it truly was a miracle. And that, by the way, is the ultimate ultimate example of seeking the extraordinary this group of people not professionals bunch of college kids look mm -hmm. what they did yeah and it's interesting because we have debate one of the thing fun things about following sports is the debates and what's the greatest team of all time and so in basketball people will point to the 1990 whatever bulls or in baseball you might point to the 1975 cincinnati reds but i think people err too much on the side of Look at all the players on the team. To me, in a way, the best team could be the one with the least amount of talent. Because yeah. why? Because they had to figure out how one and one made three. And that was the, these guys. None of them really went on to become, first of all, they're amateur players playing against what were essentially professional hockey players in Russia, a team that had just beat an NHL all-star team like nine to one or something the previous week. And and there's the part of the speech I left out, but the Herb Brooks says something like, if we played them, Ten times we might lose yeah, nine right. or something like that's that. That's right. They and they would have. Yeah. Yeah. True. Yeah. And By the way, the greatest sports team in history is actually the Edmonton Oilers from the 1980s that had Gretzky and Curry and mm. Messier, Grant Fuhrer. That was just a special team. How many titles did they win? A lot. I think they won no. four or five. They, okay. they and the Islanders had like nine or nine or so in a row, just mm -hmm. between the two of them. Editorial note here from Pod 617. He was kidding. It is the Patriots of the Bill Belichick era. It's the greatest <laughs> team of all time. We know that. Let's depart from the world of sports for one moment for the next clip. What will you do without freedom? Will you fight? Against that? No! We 
fight and you may die. Run, and you'll live. At least a while. And dying in your beds many years from now, would you be willing to trade all the days from this day to that for one chance, just one chance, to come back here and tell our enemies that they may take our lives, but they'll never take our freedom! Do, do you watch yeah. Mel Gibson movies differently now after his? I, I do. I, I do. Yeah. But I have to say, though, that Braveheart, which you just played, mm. again, <laughs> I've seen it far too many times. Me too. Yeah. But Braveheart and The Patriot, I, I watch them every Me time too. they're on. Every time, without yeah. exception. The Patriot is almost as good as Braveheart. And, and I put Braveheart up there with the greatest historical epics ever. I do, too. Yeah. I, I do, too. And that is truly the speech. But that movie is, again, just so inspirational. I actually went to Scotland. I have a lot of interest in Scotland because, in part because of movies and TV. And I'm a big Highlander fan as well. Mm, and uh, yep. we went to, uh, to Scotland. And we actually went to one of the battlefields where, where William Wallace fought. And there's a big statue of him there. Mm-hmm. And the tour guide was telling us that no one really knows what William Wallace looked like because he's a commoner. And so they erected this giant statue and, and they actually put Mel Gibson's face on it, which apparently oh, was no. a great a great area of shame for, for the locals. They were not happy about that. Mm-hmm. But I love the movie, love the movie. One funny side note about you're a Game of Thrones guy, Mike. I totally. And yeah, yeah, yeah you're about to talk about the uh, the Night Watch. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, exactly. Yep. So the actor who plays this is mind-boggling to me because Braveheart came out in 1980 something. I'll look that up. But the guy who plays sort of the elder Scotsman, the yeah. the father of one of right. William Wallace's contemporaries, is this actor James Cosmo, who's great, and he ends up dying in the end. And he goes, "No, no, pup, you're gonna live. You're gonna live," and he doesn't. But then. He shows up on Game of Thrones like 35 years later or something, and he's at, at, I, he plays like the head of the watch or something. Yeah, yeah, the Night Watch. Yeah, yeah. and the the Lord Captain Commander. And the, what's the depressing thing is when he was in Braveheart, I think he was only like, you know, 35 years old or something, which is like 15 years younger than me, six more, whatever. <laughs> I, I don't. I they don't did even make him look older. <laughs> he was a pretty tough guy. He was out there swinging the axe during all those battles. Yeah. Let me correct myself. Braveheart was actually 1995. So whatever. It's uh, 25 years later, or at least 23 years later, he shows up on Game of Thrones. Anyway, should we do one more? Let's do one more. Yeah, I, I hope um, it's the one I'm thinking of. Well, I've got one that you already <laughs> mentioned you want to do the one from Indiana? Is that the one you're talking about? No. no. Well, actually, I'm a, I'm a Hoosiers, Hoosiers fan. Yep. But no, I was thinking about the the Aragorn speech. From, sorry? Uh, from Return of the King. Oh, no. Okay. No, I, sorry. Nerd. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> oh, totally. I own it. So, yeah, well, what, what's that one all about? Yeah, so he's he's decided that he's going to lead the, the armies of Middle-earth to, to go and basically attack Mordor and, and Sauron to buy Frodo more time to destroy the ring. Okay. So he needs more time. And uh, he goes and the, they open the great black gates, and then he has to address his army because they're overwhelmed. There's a gigantic army of orcs and trolls, and, and the, the people of Middle-earth are hopelessly outnumbered, and everyone's afraid, and he has this great rallying speech. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that I saw that listed among the greatest speeches in film, but I truly I, I just, is. I it's just a, it's, not a Lord of the Rings guy. I actually just put that on my. I made a note in my phone, like because 
Not that I have time on my hands, but that's a goal to to do the Lord of the Rings. He he says that the day may come when the courage of men fails, when we forsake our friends and all bonds of fellowship. But it is not this day, an hour of wolves and shattered shields, when the age of men comes crashing down. But it is not this day, this day we fight. It's a great speech. Now I don't have to see the movie, Mike. Thank you. Let's do, I, I can't believe I'm going to do Al Pacino twice, but I'm a sucker for this one. Stand down, Mr. Slade. I'm not finished. As I came in here, I heard those words. Cradle of leadership. Well, when the bow breaks, the cradle will fall. And it has fallen here. It has fallen. Makers of men. Creators are leaders. Be careful what kind of leaders you're producing here. I don't know if Charlie's silence here today is right or wrong. I'm not a judge or jury, but I can tell you this. He won't sell anybody out to buy his future. And that, my friends, is called integrity. That's called courage. Now that's the stuff leaders should be made of. Now I have come to the crossroads in my life. Just hand him the Oscar. I always knew what the right path was. Without exception, I knew. But I never took it. You know why? It was too damn hard. Now, here's Charlie. He's come to the crossroads. He has chosen a path. It's the right path. It's a path made of principle that leads to character. Let him continue on his journey. You hold this boy's future in your hands, committee. It's a valuable future. Believe me, don't destroy it. Protect it. Embrace it. It's going to make you proud one day, I promise you. That's, of course, Al Pacino from Scent of a Woman. Some people are kind of all hua. I left out the hua. (laughs) But it, it occurs to me... I, I like that movie. A lot of people think it's too over the top or a little high. I think it's a great performance. Yeah. yeah. And it brings up a theme that I think you and I both would appreciate it. He said it pretty point blank. It's like sometimes when you get to the crossroads in your life or a big decision, it's usually not knowing which way to go. It, you usually, your instincts tell you which way to go, but sometimes it's the harder path. It's yeah. the harder thing to do. And the example in the film, of course, the the kid, the easy thing to do would be just to rat out his classmates. He gets to stay in school and nothing happens to him. He might even get a Medal of Honor or something. But he knew the right thing to do was not to do that. Yeah, good stuff. And, of course, it is good stuff. The greatest inspirational speech ever, of course, though, is this one. Take a listen here. Nobody cried when old Yeller got shot. (laughs) This is worth spending 90 seconds on. I cried my eyes out. So we're all dog faces. Oh, this is we're great. all very different. But there is one thing that we all have in common. We were all stupid enough to enlist in the army. We're mutants. There's something wrong with us. Something very wrong with us. Something seriously wrong with us. We're soldiers. But we're American soldiers. We've been kicking ass for 200 years. We're 10 and 1. <laughs> Is the one Vietnam, I guess? I, I, or, I assume yeah, so. Yeah, yeah, I assume so. don't have to worry Korea, about whether or no, not it's, we it's Vietnam. We don't have to worry about whether Captain Stillman wants to have us hung. All we have to do is to be the great American fighting soldier that is inside each one of us. Now, do what I do. 
and say what I say and make me proud. And that rouse everybody. One of the it's, one of the, it's a great speech. Yeah. However, I don't know if that's more inspirational than the speech that that he has to give to Ox when they're <laughs> at the the mud wrestling. <laughs> and that's of course the you're fair. a mean, mean fighting <laughs> machine. machine. Right. Well, Ox says, doesn't seem fair. Fair. What's fair? <laughs> Is it fair that you were born this way? <laughs> right. Right. And you also didn't okay. get to you didn't let Sergeant Hulko reply to that too. Ha 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 ha. Oh right, yeah, yeah, that's, yeah, that's in the, yeah, that movie doesn't it ages pretty well. Oh, I, I kind of, I, I wonder if um, in, enrollments, enlistments in the army went up after <laughs> that film. There's a funny moment in the film where they are just miserable. They're guys like in their, I guess, early 30s or something who have who have counterintuitively decided to join the army, yeah. and they're crawling through the mud and they're just miserable. And you hear them, you hear, army, yeah, Navy, <laughs> right. Air Force, Marines. Marines, what a great place! It's a great place. Yeah, so. So that was, I don't put it up there with Braveheart, but it's it's Stripes is a great movie. Great, great movie. Great film. Brilliant. Yeah. I think it holds, I got to, I got to get my, my teenage son on Stripes. I don't know if you've seen that yet. Well, I promised a quick round of burning questions. We will conclude the show with that. Before we do that, let me tell you just briefly what we do here at Pod 617 Studios in Westwood, Mass and Pod617.com. Do you want your own podcast, kids? It's a great way to connect with your audience, your clients, your potential clients, your whole network, whether you're a financial advisor, whether you're a lawyer, a business owner, anyone who wants to get their message out and heard in this new compelling way, podcasting is the way to go. Your guests will be amazed as you invite them onto the show, which will be a slickly produced production. We take care of everything. Start to finish intro music, outro music. We'll send you out a quality USB mic if you want to do it remotely. Many people are doing it these days. Of course, go to pod617.com to get started. Pod 617, the Boston Podcast Network. In pod, we trust. All right, let's play a round of burning questions. Here we go. Just one more thing. I have a riddle for you. Answer the question. So long since I made that little sound intro, I don't remember who that was. I think the last one might have been Judd Nelson in The Breakfast Club. Yeah. But anyway, all right, Mike Nathanson, in no particular order, if you could have a superhero power, what would it be? And knowing you, I know you've already thought of this. Uh, you're correct. I have <laughs> okay. because I was actually asked this very question for a health app that I had to fill out a profile for, oh. and I cheated and I said all of them. <laughs> So I'm gonna say I'm gonna say if I could have any uh, any superpower, it would be super strength, Superman type strength. You almost already do. I know that about you. <laughs> the Mike is very into fizz fitness, and he he could kick my ass, even though I've got a few inches. I mean, in height it, on I it. have thought a lot about this though, and <laughs> yeah. it's a tough question because if it's one power and you're being honest about it, yeah. if you don't have invulnerability, super strength doesn't do a whole lot. Someone has a gun, mm-hmm. you can't fly, you can be harmed in so many ways. But if you choose invulnerability and you don't have super strength, well, that doesn't really do a whole lot either. I think I'd go with invisibility just because. It would be fun to sneak around places where you're not yeah, allowed. It's too naughty. It, 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 <laughs> too naughty for me. I'm, I'm more well, of a Boy Scout. Yeah. Okay. Well, fair enough. To each his own. What, what member of the cast of The Muppets do you most identify with? I'm, t- I'm a Kermit guy. Totally. Cr- I, once in a great while, the the two guys that are they're up Stetler, in the... Uh, Stetler and Waldorf. Oh, b- yeah. God, I love those they're guys. Great. They're just They're curmudgeons. Yes. And I do have a positive outlook on things. And I'll tell you... 
my, my daughter got married uh, recently, and we chose none other than Rainbow Connection, Connection as our, our dance song. Oh, cool. And it was my idea. That's nice. I yeah. like that. So I'm a Kermit guy. Kermit is a, a cockeyed optimist. You can say what you want about him. He's, he's silly. He's got spaghetti arms. But, but <laughs> we true. love Kermit. Somebody I asked this question to. he's green. To, and he's green. And it's, you, we know that's not easy. Just listen to the lyrics of the song. So somebody recently answered the question with the answer, Robin, who is... Kermit's nephew or something. He's like the mini version of Kermit, which was creative. Yeah, that's too, yeah it's a little obscure. I, look, I, well, you're again, the one with Rudy as your favorite movie. I, I you know? think about these things. <laughs> Cookie Monster, I'm a healthy guy. Uh, Cookie Monster doesn't work. Oscar's too grouchy. <laughs> right. Elmo's way too flip. I'm, I'm definitely a Kermit guy. <laughs> okay. And Big Bird gets way too much heat. I will be fuzzy to your Kermit any day, Mike. <laughs> we could go on a road trip moving right along. Next question. What's the best thing to put on toast? So for me, this the answer is absolutely nothing. Really? Yes. Well, I know that, well, you probably don't eat too much toast because you, you fear the carbs, I, right? I eat whole wheat toast okay. and I don't put anything on it because it's all just unnecessary cal- calories. <laughs> What are you, Elwood Blues? <laughs> dry, dry toast? That's right. I forgot. Good reference. Yes. Elwood Great Blues, movie, by the way. Yes. What is the greatest TV commercial of all time? There is a TV commercial from from like the 1970s. It goes way back. Mm-hmm. And it was for, it was probably for Bell Telephone. Mm-hmm. Maybe AT&T was probably Bell. Mm-hmm. And, and there's this great scene where this guy named Wally is trying to, he's rehearsing a call that he's going to make to this girl, Karen, that he really likes. Mm-hmm. He's practicing over and over. You can look this up and probably find it somewhere. But he's practicing over and over. He's, you know, he's, hello, Karen, this is Wally. Mm-hmm. Hi, Karen, this is Wally. He's doing all these different things. And then finally he picks up the phone and he calls and he says, hi, Wally, this is Karen. <laughs> and I just, I love that commercial. It's just hysterical. I want to find that now. Oh, it's a great I'm commercial. Kind of, but it goes of, way, way back. And all these years later, I still remember it. That's funny. That's a great call. And you had that right at the, on the tip of your tongue. Oh, Dave, I'm, I'm, I, I, I think about many things that others don't think about. <laughs> I'm going to find it before we leave here. Wait, <laughs> great maybe commercial. it's this. No, that one's for Southwest Bell. Anyway, I'll find it in, in a future podcast. We'll devote a whole episode to it. Oh, that's most, some good commercials Most people say the Mean Joe Green ad for Coke. Mean Joe is, Green is, is good. Yeah, yeah. A, a lot of the Coke commercials are outstanding. That's a good one as well. Well, they had Don Draper, the creative force behind it. Oh, no, he was phony. Okay. What is something everyone else seems to love except you don't? Okay. Uh, this one, it's, it's pretty easy for me. Mm-hmm. Dancing. <laughs> <laughs> and maybe it's because I'm just not a good dancer. That's why um, you picked Rainbow Connection, because that's nice and slow. You don't have to do anything too fancy, right? Yeah, well, that's exactly right. Well, it was a dance with my daughter. But <laughs> but I we at the Colony Group, we talk about your zone of incompetence, your zone of competence, your zone of excellence, and your zone of genius. Mm-hmm. This is my zone of incompetence. I'm an <laughs> incompetent dancer. I like dancing, but there's plenty of things that I suck at. Well, I'll, well, just for fun, I'll ask you the reverse. What's something that you love, but nobody else really seems to that's a more challenging question it could um, be i'm gonna could I'm, be like a a, a, rock, a band or it could be a particular like obscure tv show or something like that uh, or a weird food yeah that that wouldn't work for me on the food side uh, let's come back to that we'll come back to that one that. You, you're yeah. allowed one pass that's I'm fine th- well I'm, I'm thinking very carefully about that other than yourself who's your favorite person named michael 
Yeah, probably Michael J. Fox. I I really look up to him. When I was younger, everyone said that I looked like him, and some people uh, still say (laughs) that. And uh, I had a lot in common with Alex P. Keaton, and uh, and certainly as a I'm a healthcare warrior myself, and uh, and so I I just admire what he's done for uh, Michael J. Fox Foundation. Did you see his turn as playing a fictionalized version of himself on Curb Your Enthusiasm? couple years back. I don't think I did. And I'm a, I'm a real student of Curb Your Enthusiasm. Oh, you should go back and, and it's, it is just hilarious. And it, it just shows the genius of Larry David and the, the spirit of Michael J. Fox, because he, the, I won't ruin the whole thing for you. I want you to go watch it, but he moves into the apartment above Larry. This is Larry's single days post, post-divorce. And he becomes, they, of course, Larry gets under his nerves. And at one point they're in a restaurant, Michael J. Fox appears to maybe flip Larry off as he leaves. But then when Larry confronts him later, he says, Larry, I have Parkinson's. I can't control my hands, of course. It soon becomes clear that Michael J. Fox is is using Parkinson's as an excuse to be rude to Larry for the rest of the episode. And of course, Michael J. Fox is in on the joke. It was a really nice way for him to, to poke fun at. So Good one. I actually have my answer oh, on, now you the, got on the thing that uh, that I like to do that that uh, that you know Most that no don't. one no yeah. actually no one else does, okay. which is I am a tax junkie. <laughs> I stay up <laughs> to speed on all the latest and greatest in tax. I've just had a, I've been fascinated with the tax system for years, and I still stay up to speed on everything. That is a good one. <laughs> yeah, that, that is the <laughs> well, definitive answer. I, I I went to a a conference once to uh, to speak about about tax. And my wife had never come to see me speak. And and I invited her to come and she said, okay, well, I'll come and I'll sit in the front row. And we were in Las Vegas. And so she said, yeah, when I'm done, I'll take off and I'll go have some fun. And, and I introduced the panel and I saw her in front of me. I introduced the panel, looked around at the panel as I was introducing everyone. I looked down, she was gone. Mm, really? <laughs> <laughs> Didn't even hear any of it. That's how, uh, how interested she was. Well, you could always record the speech and give it to her later as a a sleep aid, perhaps. We'll do two more questions. What is your, can you, can you tell me what your favorite photograph is? And you could go a couple different ways. Oh, go ahead. Yeah, yeah, sure. Yeah, I know I could go a couple ways. I could do a, a photograph of me with my family. Right. And, and certainly I have a number of those as well. We've been on some amazing trips together and there's a great a uh, picture of us uh, in front of the Temple of Heaven in China. Mm-hmm. And so I'm going to put that one out there. Okay. But I'm also going to put out there um, that when I retired from being a partner at a law firm, major law firm, Wilmer Hale, they had a little party for me and they gave me, I'm a big collector, mm-hmm. and they gave me a photograph of Kari Stremski Jim Rice and Dwight Evans autographed by all three of them. Wow. And I love that. I still love that. I have it and I look at it almost every day and I love that photograph because to me, I have such great baseball memories from when I was a kid and those were three of my heroes. It was Yaz. Yaz, uh, Rice, and Evans. Oh, okay. That's great. That's better than the one I have. I have one of Lynn and Rice. The, yeah. the gold dust yeah. twins who exactly. were both, both rookies. Yeah. They, in that's right. In, uh, yeah. in what it was, 75. Yeah. 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 75. Yeah. Um, and, and Lynn won the MVP, right? Not Rice. Correct. Yeah. And then right. Rice went on to have a hall of fame career and not so much Fred Lynn. That's because he left the Red Sox, but I, I love know. Fred Lynn though. Oh, that one hurt. Yeah. Yeah. What, I mean, don't get me started on the old ownership we had to deal with for <laughs> that's right. 80 some odd years. Carlton Fisk. 
what was it, Colin Fisk? They forgot to ma- mail the contract to him or something. That, and so you know, be, I, there's ugh. another great, oh, by the way, okay, one more photo that I'm going to just oh, point go, out because yeah. you mentioned Carlton Fisk. There is a great photo, which you can probably find very easily. When they retired his number at Fenway, they mm-hmm. were playing the Yankees. Mm-hmm. And it was just a great, they, they, they snapped a perfect picture. And he's standing toward home plate, and his right side is facing the visitor's dugout, and he's got his middle finger extended <laughs> right down. <laughs> and uh, he's giving the, uh, the Yankees, oh, it's, just, it's a great photo. Yeah. That reminded me, just baseball and everything, one of my favorite photos is has my dad in it, but it was on the front page of the globe when the Red Sox were in the world series in 75, the year we were just talking yeah, about yeah. they it was a game. Now the Red Sox of course lost the series in yes, seven games, did. sadly, but to the reds, but there was one game where Louis Tiant shut out the reds and the headline said Tiant shuts down big red machine. And they had a photo of just everyone in the Cincinnati dugout looking despondent because they were losing. So there's Sparky Anderson and Tony Perez and Pete Rose. Ah, great names. And yeah. Uh, Hall of Fame's all of them. And there was probably well, not Pete Rose, but that's, Oh, you're story. right. Fair <laughs> point. Joe Morgan. Anyway. And, but there was enough, the, the photo was cropped. So you could see the first, maybe 10 rows of fans right above the dugout. Well, my, my dad had been treated to the game by his rich and powerful friend Larry Anson, one of his good buddies. And they were sitting there. And so my dad is in that photo. And so for right, everyone's, well, I pointed out to him. Yeah, I'll, I'll find it. I have a great memory with my, my, my father from Fenway. I, he and I were at Fenway on September 12, 1979, when Kari Stremski hit his 3,000th hit. And I still have three ticket stubs to prove it. And I treasure those. And I actually, the one time I ever called sports radio, do you remember Norm Riche? That sounds familiar. Yeah, so yeah. he had a show like, oh, yeah. calling okay. all collectors or something, and yeah. I called sports radio, and uh, I was living in Ashland. This is Mike from Ashland, and <laughs> I, right. I asked him how much those three ticket stubs were worth, mm-hmm. and he asked me the story, and I told him, and he said to me, what kind of a person are you that would actually think about selling ticket stubs that mm-hmm. you went with your father mm-hmm. uh, to, to that game and uh, made me feel this is the last time I, I ever called the sports radio station. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's a collectible show though. I just come wanted on. to know I wasn't really going to sell them. The poor guy. The, the, <laughs> come on, Norm Risha. You got to do better than that. Let's see. We'll ask one more question. It's not necessarily the best question, but it's a decent question. And it comes from, a, I think, a deleted scene from Pulp Fiction. Are you more of an Elvis person or a Beatles person? Oh, Okay, I have great respect for Elvis. I love Elvis. But for me, the Beatles are a collection of... The Beatles are what happened when Bach, Mozart, and Beethoven decided to get together with John Williams or something. Because Ringo is not in the same league. I love Ringo. (laughs) Poor Ringo. That's what what the Beatles were. The Beatles Beatles are prophets sent by the heavens to deliver a message of peace and love to to, to the world. There's no one that compares to the Beatles. And as far as I'm concerned, the Beatles are just light years ahead of everybody else in music. And it's, I can't argue with you there. Now, the question hints at something else, though. The, The question hints to sort of which style or philosophy or sort of if which entity Elvis or the Beatles is sort of closer to your spirit animal, your answer would probably still be the same. My spirit animal is actually the tiger. So, <laughs> so I'm, I'm, So you could be more of an Elvis person if we were talking. I, I suppose I, I say that because I'm a person, I, I'm full of fire and strength. I'm full of love as well, but I, I think my spirit animal is the tiger. Well, you, <laughs> 
Okay, I have to amend the. Let me ask the question again. Are you more of a Beatles person, an Elvis person, or a Tiger person? Okay, Tiger, <laughs> good. No, but I, I think what the what Tarantino was trying to get at is in the. I think it's a deleted scene in Pulp Fiction because I don't. Yeah, think because actually, the, I don't remember that yeah, scene. No, and again, I've seen Pulp Fiction right. twenty five times probably. It's it's one of the scenes between Uma Thurman and John Travolta right before she ODs, and she's just kind of they're having these Tarantino-ish conversations, and yeah. she says, "Are over uh, dinner." Yeah, it, it, either, either, car? I think after they got back to her apartment, I think. Anyway, she says, "Are the she says the question looms? Are you more of a Beatles person or an Elvis person?" Which is not to say you can't like both bands because you can and you actually should. But at the at people's very core, they will either be a Beatles person or an Elvis person. And she looks at him and she says, "I don't have to ask what you are. You're obviously an Elvis person because Travolta's character in the movie is he's got the long hair. He's he looks a little punk rocky maybe or whatever. However you want to." But I think the question gets to a little bit like Elvis was a talented musician, but probably better known for his showmanship. Uh, the Beatles were known for their showmanship, but more so for their amazing ability of putting together a song. And yeah, that's right. They are. They are the. I recently was having a a disciplinary session with my son, in, 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 and I say that in that my son's an adult, but I say that because he dared to suggest that Paul Simon wasn't a great songwriter. And I had to school him on that, of course. <laughs> and and the way I did that was we, I looked up all the lists of greatest songwriters of all time. Mm. And the only one who ever contends with McCartney and Lennon is Bob Dylan. Some people argue mm. that Dylan was higher. Mm. But, but yeah, McCartney and Lennon, just absolute genius. And George Harrison on any other band would have been considered the same level of genius only because he hooked up with McCartney and Lennon. Is he not respected as the same level of genius? Because he truly is. Yeah, he's like the Scotty Pippen of the Beatles. Scotty Pippen wouldn't have gone to the Hall of Fame if it wasn't for my whatever. But uh, I love your whole question about Elvis and the Beatles. It's a good philosophical question. It sort of gets to this whole duality of man. Yeah, I think you have both in you actually, because you, you like to get well, you like to get introspective and thoughtful, but you also appreciate that image counts and there's an, there's an yeah. art to someone's image, someone's brand, someone's appearance, and all that. Sure, and, and it helps that yeah. that Forrest Gump taught Elvis how to dance. That's right. <laughs> <laughs> hey, let me show me how you move those hips around. <laughs> so I want to see that. Yeah, but just to to finish the thought, it boggles my mind how good the Beatles were, and it, it's Captain Obvious. But now you, you mentioned your son, who seems to be a music fan. Is he? he is. It, did he go through a Beatles phase, or does he like the Beatles? Or? All three of my kids are all big Beatles fans, and uh, my daughter's actually a professional musician. She's pursuing a doctorate in musical arts, where they actually, and actually, in some of her classes, they've actually studied the Beatles. Mm -hmm. The Beatles are—they're a phenomenon. Yeah, I well, I could try to get you on the podcast we produce here, Get Back to the Beatles with Chachi Lopret and oh. Professor David Gallant, who teaches a Beatles course at Suffolk University. And so the the it so many things just swing back around to the Beatles. It's and I gotta so Griffin, if you're listening, my 18 year old son, it's time for you to get into the Beatles. Oh, you like totally. music. He hasn't gone through his Beatles phase yet. He has to. The music is timeless and just boggles my mind how many hits they did in such a short amount yeah, of time it, it's true well I mean, have you seen the movie yesterday yes oh, spectacular yes. movie great movie yeah. and what i love about that movie is it, it shows us what the world would be like without beatles music yeah. and it wouldn't be as happy of a world it's true it's true all you need is love that's and right. A and, whole bunch of Beatles music. And how great was it at the end of that movie when you actually get to meet John Lennon in yeah. the seventies? That was well done. Oh, they, they, they could have screwed that up, but 
It was well done and just, it made you sort of happy and sad at the same time, especially since... It did. Yeah, I guess now that I think about it, that maybe the point was that... that well, the, one of the points was obvious that if he hadn't been a beetle, he wouldn't have been assassinated, which kind of made you, you right. sad, right? That's right. Anyway, Mike, do you have uh, four more hours to spend? No, we don't <laughs> yeah, have to. We're up fun. against the clock. We got to go. But I hope you had fun, Mike. This was it's, great. It's not quite the Seeking the Extraordinary podcast, but that reminds me, you should check out that podcast, Seeking the Extraordinary a presentation of The Colony Group. You want to know more about Mike's firm, please do go to thecolonygroup.com. Is that the best way to get in touch with you? Yes, sir, that is. And we're also on LinkedIn and on Twitter. Very good. Find them there. Find the podcast anywhere you find podcasts. And I look forward to the podcast history we'll be making together, my friend. Me too, Dave. All right. On behalf of Mike Nathanson, my name is Dave. I'm just a guy from Boston. But if you're not from Boston, you must be the other guy. Have a great day, everybody. Go listen to a Beatles song. Let's cheer you up. Come on.